Have you ever struggled with understanding the Word of God? You're not alone. Let's look at the scriptures together and understand how we can apply biblical principles in our daily lives, right here on the Creekside Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Creekside Podcast. I am your host, James Pivahouse, and this is our pastor, Drew Byers. How you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing really good. Awesome. Uh, I, I, this, the intro to the podcast sounds really awesome, and I had real high hopes for it when it was just our voices in the microphone because you have a really great radio voice, and maybe my voice is tolerable. But then you added these cameras, and now people can see what we look like, and I have zero hope that the podcast will be successful. But There's hey, no hope. That's okay. That's all right. So now they have to see our faces, which is... That's great. Maybe for some people, for other people, might not be so great. But I'm glad to be here today. Uh, I'm glad to read the Bible and talk about it with you. I've been looking forward to it all day, so let's get rolling. Let's do it. Last week, we talked about Hebrews 8, and this time we want to talk about Hebrews 13. And, uh, Do you I'll, want to tell the people why we're skipping significant portions of the book of Hebrews? Yeah, so we actually started a uh, plan of reading through the Bible, the New Testament, uh, with our congregation at Creekside um, back in January. And we want to go through the whole New Testament in one year. Um, and so that plan, uh, it, we're kind of catching on to that plan where we're at right now. And that way you can go along with us. And that plan is a five by five by five plan. Uh, but yeah, that's that's why we're starting at Hebrews eight, and now we're going to Hebrews thirteen, and and uh, we've struggled to just get the chapters we want to record. We don't pretend for a moment we're competent enough to do a podcast for every single day. So we're trying to hit the highlights and maybe answer some questions for some problem passages. We're trying to pick some passages that maybe you might trip you up, or you might have some extra questions about, or just want some more thoughts about. Most definitely, I really appreciate. I know personally. The fact that there's a lot of times when I'm studying in the scriptures um, and, and stuff just doesn't make sense to me because I don't have the seminary behind me the way that you do. And so the fact that you're willing to come on, take your time out to uh, come in and explain these things to us and kind of walk through it, really, I, I really appreciate that. I know myself and I know the listeners. Well, that's, that's kind of you to say, and I've really I've benefited a lot from being able to take some time and, and go to seminary and do that kind of stuff. But the thing about seminary is it just teaches you how to read. And it just teaches you how to think. And so I, I'd always tell people, like, oh, that's a really good thought. And none of the thoughts I have are original to me. You know, for the most part, they're all stolen. So there might be copyright infringement here. Um, and I try to give a tribute where ideas came from when I can figure that out. So, but uh, yeah, there's so many good resources. There's so many good podcasts. There's so many good uh, YouTube channels, guys doing the same kind of stuff we're doing just on a, uh, a different scale. So uh, would obviously direct our listeners to any of those uh, those resources, you know, if you want some more, uh, some faithful resources and places you can check, often we'd be glad to recommend those. You can write into us, uh, email us, whatever, comment on a video, and we'd be glad to do that. But I hope this is another resource, another way that we can just kind of get the Word of God out to people. Uh, that's the goal of everything. So Definitely. Well, with that being said, let's get started. Uh, if you don't care, can you read yeah. Hebrews chapter 13 with us? Yeah, I'm going to do verses 1 through 17 a lot. And this might seem like a lot, but I think it'll make sense as we uh, as we kind of go through it here. So uh, let's do that. Let's start in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 1. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all 
and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's great. Thank you for taking the time again to read through the scripture. Uh, last week when we talked, we spoke about how that some people may go the entire week without reading the word. And this may be the only time that you actually get to hear it. We strongly encourage you to find that devotional, especially if you can find the one that we're going through together, the five by five by five, uh, to go through those scriptures with us um, every day. Uh, but if this is the only time you hear it, thank you for telling people the Word of God. That's amazing. Um, so to start off, I have a question, because last time we talked about Hebrews 8, now we're in Hebrews 13. Uh, one of them seems to be full of like practical advice, while the other one's filled with more theological statements. So what's the connection between the two? Yeah, I, I think that the, one of the big goals of the book, the book of Hebrews is to help Christians persevere. You're trying to reach the finish line. You're, you're, you're looking forward. You're walking in faith. To do that in the Christian life, it is necessary that you understand theology. And when I say theology, don't, I mean, don't think about uh, you have to have read this many books or had to memorize this many scriptures. Theology is simply the study of God. It's important that you understand something of who God is, what God is like, how he works in this world. And so at, at that level, all of theology is intensely practical. Theology influences the way that we live our lives. What we believe to be true about God will directly influence whether or not we're going to obey him today. So if I believe God is good, and that all of God's laws are good, because that's what Scripture has, tell, has told me, then whenever I, in my flesh, am faced with a decision, am I going to obey God or am I not? And maybe there's like some benefit 
from from not obeying God from a human perspective, right? So like I could uh, I could cheat on my taxes or something like that, you know. And I know I'm not going to get caught if I cheat on this, and I'll get more money in my pocket. But that would not be honoring to God because that would be dishonest, right? Uh, using that as an, a kind of an extreme example, obviously I should not do that, be, even though there would be some material benefit. So theology really helps us in that. It, simple things like being sexually pure. Your theology has to, I mean, what you believe to be true about God, um, you know, it, even in this context, there's some, uh, there's some exhortation to remain sexually pure, to keep the marriage bed undefiled. Your, your theology plays into that. Um, closely tied to that is the idea of greed, you know, being content with what you have. Uh, what you believe to be true about God says will will demonstrate itself. Will will show itself in how you deal with money. You know things like that. Uh, so the the theological musings, I guess, that we see in the Book of Hebrews are intensely practical. And Hebrews thirteen may, might be kind of the culmination of all of those theological musings. So you kind of see those things interwoven here. In the first six verses, he really starts with some practical advice about. Uh, showing brotherly love. And then he goes into this stuff about the altar and the old covenant. And so you're like, well, what in the world? It's all interconnected. Uh, we might not always see how the, how the threads are closely tied on a, on a surface level of reading the Scripture, but I think we'll see as we kind of unpack this how those threads are tied together. Perfect. That's a great explanation. And one other thing that I noticed is the, the phrase brotherly love. Um, what do you think the author of Hebrews actually meant by the term brotherly love. You have a brother? I have a cousin I call a brother. You love him? He's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I love him. Do you fight with him? All the time. <laughs> brotherly love, I think, in this context, has to deal with fam- this family kind of bond. Uh, I don't know of a family that doesn't have like conflict, that doesn't have some kind of strife. But at the end of the day, it's not the it's not the strife and the conflict that binds you together, right? It's that that family tie, that that blood relationship. I love my brother because he's my brother. First of all, uh, even though he can be a punk sometimes, you know, I hope he. I probably never listen to this, but I hope he does, you know, because he'll know I'm right. Um, but I love my brother because he's my brother. Like same thing, you know, as you you get older, maybe your parents, you know, you disagree with them about some things, but you love them and you want to honor them because they're your parents. Um, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. The same thing to, to an, I think, to an even greater degree is true of the church. Understanding in the context of Hebrews, when someone joined the church, sometimes that meant they left their family, you know, because their family worshipped a, a false god. Their family was involved in some kind of uh, worship of, of some other deity. And they leave that and go to worship the one true God, Jesus. The only family they have at times is the Christian church. So what that's saying is that I don't love my fellow church member because of any worldly worldly reason, you know, because they're wealthy or because they like the same stuff I do or share my uh, political leanings or whatever else it might be. Right? We, we, we love affinity groups, especially in America. We like people that are like us. Brotherly love tells us we should love people that Jesus loves simply because Jesus loves them. So I don't give grace to fellow church members because they've first given grace to me. I'm commanded, I think this text tells me, I'm commanded to love them because Jesus loves them. Regardless, even if that means that sometimes they might do things that are hurtful to me or might cause strife uh, in my life, I have an obligation to forgive them and to bear with them because of what Christ has done for me. And this is where theology, the rubber meets the road, right? Look at what God has done for you. 
Look at what Christ has done for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did the most, uh, in, in the most incredible expression of grace and of love in his death on the cross while I was living in rebellion against him, you know, uh, while, while still dead in my sin, Christ died for me. You know, that's what the scripture teaches. Um, him knowing I would sin, right, still went to the cross and stood in my place. Can I not love my fellow man, my fellow Christian, even though at times he might do things that upset me or hurt me or harm me, we're bad at this. I think in the in the in American Christianity, in American culture, you know, and in a lot of local churches, even we like people when they're nice to us. Um, but let let brotherly love continue. Um, let it keep going on and on. This kind of family bond. Let's get back to the place where the church uh, is a family, you know, and where we we see the people that sit in the the pews across from us or the chairs across from us. Not just as people who come to the same church as us, but people who are part of the same family as we are. That's what brotherly love entails there. And you see that fleshed out uh, in a number of ways there. Um, Certain things like showing hospitality, having people in your home, providing for practical needs, uh, remembering people who are in prison, uh, understanding in this context they're probably in prison because of the gospel. It's not because they committed a crime. You know, it's because they were preaching the gospel and the authorities hated they were preaching the gospel. And it would be easy for for the people who were not able to be with the church who were in prison to be forgotten. But he says, remember their needs, you know, care for them. Uh, see what you can do to provide for them in prison. Understanding prison was a totally different scenario than it is in our day and age. Uh, so remembering those people who, are, who have been mistreated. And I love in verse 3 there, it says, since you also are in the body. Right, talking about the body of Christ, that we're members of one another. That's why that's why church membership is so important, right? Because uh, we identify that these people are are a, a part of Christ's body, just like I'm a part of Christ's body. Who hates their own body? You know, who neglects their own flesh? Um, n- nobody, right? Uh, and so, if we don't show brotherly love in a way, we're mistreating the body. Um, brotherly love, another way it's fleshed out here in verse four. Uh, let marriage help be held in honor among all. That's not just saying that I should care about my marriage with my wife, but I should also care about your marriage with your wife. Like, how can I help you be a better husband and a better dad to your wife and to your kids, right? And how can you help me be a better husband to, to my wife? And, and how can we encourage uh, mar- marriages to be strong and be faithful together? That's one of the evidences, I think, of uh, of God's, you know, God's blessing on a church is when there's when there's healthy marriages there, right? And we should strive and work uh, to make that a possibility because we're brother, because we have this brotherly family connection. We should care about each other um, in that kind of way. And then, last thing we see here um, in uh, in verse number five: uh, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. I think that's another expression of brotherly love. Um, that we need to be able to be content with what we have. And if we see our brother in need, you know, physically, monetarily. If they're truly our brother in Christ, what might that mean? Uh, elsewhere in the scripture, I'm not remembering the reference right now, but it says if you if you know you see your brother in in need and you don't contribute, if you don't give to him, you don't really love him. You know that that kind of idea. And this is not some kind of communist socialist appeal, right? Like, hey, I, I'm going to take some of your money, you know, and give it to this person. You know, it's it's of, of the of you've seen how the abundance of grace has been manifested in your life. God's given you more than you need. Man, if you could part with some of that to help your, you know, help your your brother in Christ to be more devoted to Christ, to not have to deal with the physical the physical struggles or the difficulty. And this isn't talking about uh, giving money to someone who's lazy, right? This is talking about someone who's really struggling, who's really in need. Um, are you willing to to part with the, part with the the love of money? You know, do you love 
your brother in Christ more than you love the money in your pocket. That's a hard teaching, but that's what brotherly love. Yeah, yeah, and that's personally hard for me. Yeah. You know, I, it's easy for me to love people who uh, do the same things as I do and, and are, are just as good as I am, you know, because we all think of ourselves as the best person, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but I, I heard someone say the other day that God loves us right where we are. Um, I like to think God loves us in spite of where we are. Yeah. Mm. Because none of us are perfect. No, we're all sinners. And right. We've all been saved by grace. Um, and it's, it's that acceptance of salvation. Yeah, and I think, that's, I think that's a good point, James. God does love us uh, where we are. He meets us where we are, right? It's not because I've taken uh, steps towards God that God's taken steps towards me. No, God pursues me in his love and is uh, calling me to himself, and God does meet us even in our sin, but he does not leave us there, right? He wants us to, and I think sometimes we might use that, hey, God loves us right where I am, so my sin's not a big deal. No, the Hebrews is saying the opposite, right? Exactly. He's saying, no, come out of, your sin is so bad for you. It's so bad for your life. Come out of that sin and come to Christ. You know, walk away from that sin and walk towards holiness, uh, which is what I think um, the author of Hebrews is trying to help us to do. Uh, and one of the ways he does that, in verse six, he gives us this reminder, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to us? You know, uh, what, what can man destroy that God cannot redeem? You know, even if someone were to come in here and to persecute me for my belief in Christ, to steal all of my money, to take away, uh, you know, the very things that are most precious to me, cannot God redeem those things? And that's the reality the, the, the people in the context of Hebrews are living in. Uh, in, in fear for their life. And what does is, what is Paul, or not Paul, the author of Hebrews say to prioritize? Brotherly love. You know, you'll, you'll, all people will know we're Christians by our love we show for one. And that's what Jesus says to his disciples in John 13. Uh, I think that's important for us to consider how that brother love urges us on towards holiness and towards uh, the things of God. That's, I think that's very significant. It is. That's, yeah. And, and when he meets us there, and it goes on and says he'll never leave us nor that's forsake right. us. Yeah. What an amazing promise yeah. that he gave us. And I had a long discussion with my daughter yesterday, uh, we, we had the privilege of going to a funeral, uh, mm. and she got to go through that experience with me. And at eight years old, mm. that's an eye-opener. Yeah. You know? So she had lots of questions. Yeah. And um, on the ride home, she, I said, any questions you have, just ask me. You know? And we started talking about God, and we started talking about eternal life. And um, she wanted to know more about the sacrifice that Jesus made, and I gave her this analogy, and I thought it worked really well, was if you committed murder, because he tells us in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount that even if you hate someone, right. you've committed murder. Yeah. That, in God's eye, that's how he sees it. I said, imagine you've committed murder, and you're on death row, and you're, you're, you've served so much time, and you're, you're right there to the point when they're about to execute you, and in walks this man, and he says, I love you so much. I don't want to see you die. I don't want to see this happen to you. Is there any way you can execute me instead of that person? And he sets in your place, and you are able to walk out free yeah. as if you've never done what you, what you did and what yeah. you were guilty of. Yeah. Now, would you take that and leave and immediately go murder someone or rob a bank? Right. Yeah. Or are you going to change your entire outlook? And so it doesn't matter. When you, when you get that switch 
turned in your mind, um, that's that is when you can love someone despite. Yeah, and I think I think to add on to that, I think that's there's that's all true, and there's more to add to that. It's not just that Jesus takes your place, but that He also gives you all He has. You know, so He doesn't just. Uh, I've heard the, the the phrase justification means just as if I'd never sinned. Um, and, and that would bring us to a morally neutral state, right? But Jesus doesn't bring us to a morally neutral state. He brings us to a state of complete and total satisfaction before God, right? Our sin is born away, and we're given Christ's righteousness, right? you know? Uh, and that, because we're given, like, that's mind-blowing to consider that, right? Because Christ would take our place, we now, because of our union with Christ by the Spirit, we now have all that Christ has. And that's a reality that we get to live into. One of the ways that looks like is brother love, right? Loving, just as Jesus would come and take the place of the sinner on death row, should I also not love my brother who's been redeemed by Christ's blood in the same way? Yes, I should. Am I good at that? No, I need the the Spirit's help. We all need to be sanctified um, in this way, and I think that's what the text of Hebrews kind of pushes us towards. Yeah, and that's awesome that you got to kind of Oh man, have that conversation with your daughter yesterday. That's really cool. Yeah, and I hope it stuck. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Yeah. Um. So part of brotherly love, you just explained. Uh, one of the words was hospitality. So again, what do you think the author meant by the word hospitality? Yeah, I, I think it has to do with welcoming others. Um, I think it's Romans fifteen seven or seventeen. I might get my reference wrong. It says welcome one another as Jesus Christ has welcomed you. How how much has Christ welcomed us? You know, and, and and starting there again, this is where theology becomes really practical. Because if you don't think that Christ has welcomed you, if you don't understand the extent to which Christ has welcomed you, I, I think about um, Jesus and Zacchaeus. Right, Zacchaeus is a is a sinner. Uh, he's a snake. He's a thief. All he's he's despised by society. And yet Jesus comes in and says, "Hey, I, I'm going to go eat at your house." Uh, you know, and and in that way, it says, "I'm going to accept you." You know, I'm going to I'm going to be seen with you. I'm going to dine with you. If Jesus can treat Zacchaeus, who's a snake and a sinner, and that, and we see what kind of effect that has in Zacchaeus's life, if you read the account in the Gospels, if Jesus can treat a, a sinner like that, how much has Christ welcomed me? Well, He's welcomed me in spite of my sin, uh, in spite of my rebellion against God. He has He has redeemed me from that. If I have been redeemed, then I have an obligation to seek to welcome one another, to, to welcome the other people in my, in my life, even people that have sinned or, or wronged me. Uh, hospitality, I think that this means not just, uh, not just being kind or being polite. And I don't also think, sometimes when we think about hospitality, we can think about getting out the nice china, right? And making sure that our home is like a perfect place for people to congregate. And that's that's a sophisticated way of lying, right? Uh, if we're honest, <laughs> yeah. like let's bring out the let's bring out the um, the plastic plasticware and the you know the the Dixie bowls or whatever it might be, and let's you know sit on the front porch and have a bowl of chili or whatever it might be. You know, it doesn't have to be some nice fancy meal, but uh, I think it means getting people under the roof of your house, uh, a place that is uh, where you can linger and have extended conversations. I mean, just yesterday, uh, it was awesome. Our, um, our neighbors texted us and said, "Hey, we were having." We were watching some cooking show on the Food Network channel, and we they were having a bake-off, and so uh, me and the kids decided to have a bake-off. So mom and dad both picked one of, the, one of the boys in their family, and they both made desserts, 
And then they texted me and Jessica said, hey, will you come over and be judges for us and judge the bake-off for us? And we and afterwards, we just sat at their dinner table and just talked for like an hour. Uh, it was funny because before we went over there, Jessica said, hey, do, should we put the dogs up? And I said, no, just leave the dogs out. We're not going to be over there very long. They're not going to break anything. And we were over there for like most of the night. But it was so awesome because we had that time at their at their table just to linger and just to talk about life, and they were super hospitable towards us, made us these great desserts, which they were, they were really, really good. We were really impressed. Uh, but just having that time just to spend with them uh, was really cool. That's the kind of thing I think that um, I think that the author of Hebrews is talking about, bringing people into your home, giving them, a, you know, that the Christian home can kind of be a shelter from the world, you know, that we can linger, we can talk freely, we can share burdens, we can talk about what we're wrestling with, what we're struggling with, how we can pray for each other, that we can actually pray together right there. That's the kind of hospitality I think that um, the author of Hebrews is, is talking about. And, and one of the things that we see, like in a description for an elder or for a, for a pastor in 1 Timothy 3 or the book of Titus, we see that pastors are supposed to be hospitable. They're supposed to use their homes uh, in a way that honors God, in a way that kind of invites that kind of uh, safety and, and conversation for people to have. So I, I think that's some of what's tied up there in hospitality. And I think it's an area for... Um, for the Christian church to really grow in. that our, God has given us homes. Let's use our homes to the glory of God. Even if they're not fancy, even if we do have to pull out uh, paper plates, you know, and plastic spoons, that's okay. Even if we don't have much, you know, rice and beans is a really inexpensive meal. It can go a really long way. Uh, so just kind of thinking about that. We don't have to always impress people or bring the best to people, but just to seek to care for people and what good that can do both for a Christian and for a non-Christian. You know, uh, a great tool for evangelism, I think, is practicing hospitality. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. You know, I think, imagine if the entire church mm. had that mindset yeah. of hospitality. Um, the, the number of uh, lost people, I'm sure, would decrease immensely because yeah. we're inviting them in constantly. Yeah. We are showing them, you know, we, we Kristen and I, uh, my wife, we had a friend that was uh, atheist. And we made sure every chance we had to invite her into the house, her and her kids and her husband, when he wasn't working, he worked nights. And so we tried to get them in the yeah. house as much as possible. And uh, with the kids, uh, yeah. sometimes we babysit and it was, we always pray, you know, and mm. it, even though they're there uh, and it was never anything where we push it. Sure. Yeah. No, you know, I don't, I believe you can push people over an edge. Yeah. Uh, but I think being that example in front of those people. That's imagine if the entire church had that mindset. Right. And, and how many, maybe some, some conflict that our church goes through, um, might be resolved over a dinner table rather than, you know, in another context, uh, that man, what a way to, what a way to do things, what a way to think about things. And I think that's some of what, um, the author of Hebrews has in mind here. Uh, you know, just in terms of evangelism, you know, we can talk about this briefly. I was listening to a talk I can't remember the the guy who, who was giving the talk, but he'd written a book about evangelism, and he talked about how you know when you're uh, when you're when you know some single people and you're always trying to like set them up. So like you you have a dinner party and you notice like oh there's two couples, oh there's another couple, oh there's a couple, and I'm a single guy and oh there's one single girl here. Oh I know what's going on, right? <laughs> the folks who plan the dinner party are trying to set me up with this single girl, you know, and which is you know all good intentions, all well and good. Maybe like inform <laughs> inform the guy before you invite him over to walk into a trap. But you know I, you know see, seen that happen, uh, seen that happen in times and sometimes it works. My wife and I a result of some, you know, a friend setting us up on a blind date. Hey, God works in mysterious ways, right? <laughs> um, so 
thinking about that, he said one of the great things you can do is try to set up your non-Christian friends with Christian friends. And so his idea was, you know, have a party, have a game night at your house, and hey, and invite a Christian couple and a non-Christian couple, you know, invite them over and kind of cross-pollinate. So it's then it's not just you practicing hospitality, but also there's they see someone that you go to church with, they see someone you share your life with and say, man, they have such a great relationship with each other. Well, what is that? Well, it's brotherly love, right? That's what it is. It's this brother love that I love these people because Christ loves these people, and we're seeking to welcome you as Christ has welcomed us. You know, what a great testimony to the grace of God. Um, so I think that's some of what's wrapped up in the command to demonstrate hospitality here. Yeah. Yeah, talk about having the heart of Christ. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's go to uh, another question. It's in verse 7. Um, it's a, it's that, verse 7 seems like an interesting verse about leadership. Uh, so if you don't care, tell me a little bit about what you see uh, the author of Hebrews telling us about in verse 7 about leadership in the Christian life. Yeah, um, that the Christian, in, in the Christian life, there will be inevitably people who will lead other Christians. That's part of the way God has designed His church. Um, and it's not like a hierarchy where the people who lead other Christians are like better Christians or closer to God. I think sometimes the, the average Christian might live with this, um, I don't know, this, this false idea that somehow like pastors or Christian leaders have like a more direct access to God or that they are somehow more holy or closer to God than other Christians are. Uh, and I, I think that's a that's kind of detrimental because it puts pastors up on a pedestal where they don't need to be. Um, we're all seeking to imitate Christ. But hopefully in our lives, we have some role models of some people that we know are seeking to imitate Christ and might be further along on their journey of sanctification than we are. That doesn't mean that they're any better than other Christians, right? Because we're, we're all sinners in need of God's grace. Um, but that there are people who seem to, you know, practice the ways of Jesus um, maybe more faithfully than we do, or they've grown in this area, or they've overcome uh, significant hardships in their life to be able to live uh, to live like Christ in a way that we hope to or aspire to. In this context, it looks like these leaders in Hebrews 13 are leaders in this early church who had faith in God to the point where they were persecuted. If you look at the second sentence of chapter 7, it says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So I think, in, in my, from, from my reading of this passage, what I think the author uh, understands is that these leaders died for their faith in Jesus. They, try, they sought to live a holy and godly life, were persecuted for it, held on to their faith. They died, and then they said, consider the outcome of, of the way of their life. What was the fruit of that? And then imitate that same kind of faith. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm always, you know, nothing puts steel in my spine for the sake of the gospel than reading about people who have been persecuted and still continue faithful to Jesus, reading missionary biographies about people like Jim Elliott, who even though he was in a prime of his life, uh, you know, he said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, right? And goes and administers to this group of people who have never heard the gospel and is killed uh, in, his, in his seeking to do that ministry. Um, reading the story of Jim Elliott, a man put steel in my spine, right? Say, like, man, the gospel is worth suffering and dying for because it's true. And I think that that's the context that we see here. Maybe not all of these leaders died, but we know it is the leaders who first spoke the word of God to the, to the group that Hebrews is talking to. Um, he says, look at their way of life and then imitate their faith. Seek to be 
like them. So uh, I think that one, that should give us, we don't want to put pastors or Christian leaders on a pedestal, but we do want to hold them to standards. Uh, that, that, that pastors, you know, the question is if everyone in the church lived like the pastor or the leader of that church or the group of elders at that church, would that church be more like Jesus? And I think we should be able to say yes, that the pastors get to be an example to the flock, get to have the privilege um, of, of leading the flock. Does that mean that they're perfect? Absolutely not. Um, but if there is, a, there should be a pattern of faithfulness and consistency uh, in the pastor's life that church members should desire to. Yeah, yeah. I think Paul, he said that, well, he said, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's right. Yeah. Um, but insofar as Paul's not imitating Christ, like, don't do the things in my life. Don't, don't seek to emulate me in ways that I'm not like Christ. Exactly. Right? Emulate me in the ways that I am like Christ. And hopefully, as there's ways that I'm not like Christ, those are exposed and the Spirit convicts me of that sin. I repent of that sin and then turn and trust and follow Jesus that he's, he's working on me in those areas and in those ways um, that, I'm, that I'm maturing in the Christian life in those regards. Yeah. So then in verse 8, so we just got through with verse 7. Let's go into verse 8 real quick. Verse 8, it kind of moves from practical back into the theological. Uh, so what do you think his point is here? Yeah, I think it's some of what, if you go back and listen to the episode we did on Hebrews chapter 8, I think he's reiterating a lot of that here. Uh, it seemed like in the early church here that's addressed in the book of Hebrews, um, there were some teaching that people were essentially going back to Old Covenant ways. Um, they were going back to the sacrificial system. They were going back to um, eating certain foods uh, that were supposedly blessed or maybe more clean or whatever. And I, I think that the the verse, the well, this idea is really summarized um, in verses twelve and thirteen. Um, it says that Jesus also suffered outside of the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach that He endured. Um, these people are trying to uh, trying to gain for themselves a better standing with God by applying the laws of the old covenant and the rules of the old covenant, rather than looking to the mediator of the new covenant, which Hebrews eight says is a better covenant, which is the one that Christ has uh, Christ has mediated. And so, what this verse is, what verses twelve and thirteen are encouraging us to do is to look at the sacrifice of Christ. Look at his blood shed for us. Know our standing with God because of that. And then follow in the footsteps of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, Jesus suffered. He died. Um, he bore a reproach for us. We are fools if we think that following Jesus means we're never going to suffer. Right? Jesus has told us that in this world we're going to have trouble, but to take heart because he has overcome the world. That's what this verse is encouraging us to do. And if we abide by old covenant rules and regulations, we're not going to be encouraged to walk into the life that Jesus has for us, which in many cases is a life of suffering. But also at the same time, that life of suffering is a life of grace and a life of an abundance and a life that is filled um, with, the, with the holiness of God. That's the kind of life we should desire um, to walk into. And then in verse 14, he, he says this, which I think should give us some pause. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Now, does that mean that I don't care about anything that happens in this, in this life? Well, no, obviously not. But I will do the most earthly good when I'm the most heavenly minded. Uh, and I know, I know, I think that some people gave some critique of like the Puritans back in the day, you know, uh, the Puritans were always afraid that someone somewhere was having some fun, you know, and they were always mad about that. Uh, but the idea for the Puritans was they were always so focused on heaven and so focused on uh, the, the inheritance that they were to have in the life to come 
Uh, and some people would critique the Puritans and said, oh, they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Uh, and I, I think that there's a, there, can, there can be uh, some uh, realism to that critique, some, some word of caution, but I think that you find throughout church history, the people who do the most earthly good are the people who are the most heavenly minded. I think that's what that verse encourages us to do. So our world will be a better world if we are concerned with the city that is to come. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast today. I know there's a ton of things you could have spent your time listening to, but James and I are grateful that you spent some time hanging out with us. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside Fellowship, you can go to our website at creeksidefellowshiptn.com. You can find our contact info there. If you've uh, enjoyed listening to the podcast, you can rate and review and subscribe and all that fun stuff. And if you have any questions for us, you can email us at info at creeksidefellowshiptn.org. That's all on our website. You can also connect with us on social media. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. Hope you'll tune in next time.